begin by reading a couple of verses in that ninth chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, so on and so forth. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, beginning in verse 3, reading to the fourth verse. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that one thing happens to all. Truly the hearts of the sons of men are are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But for him who is joined to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. With that interesting thought, let's bow our heads together this morning. Heavenly Father, what manner of love it is, Lord, that we can be called the sons of God. I thank you, Lord, for the love that you express, that you express to any and everyone who will come, Father. And take your name and be welcomed into your family, your household. Father, I thank you for that place that we might have, regardless of who we are, what we've done. I thank you, Lord, that you welcome us in. Help us, Father, to take note of this this morning, to rejoice in it, Father, together here as an assembly, and rejoice in your name, your purpose, your will, who you are as a result of it. Father, we praise you this morning. Bless your word to us this morning, Father. Help us to honor you by it and in it. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here I am already with water in my eyes, and I knew for a fact that I wasn't going to because it seems like such a light-hearted lesson this morning. I didn't expect, <laughs> didn't expect anything really to trigger me. Uh, emotionally, but there it is. I don't mind. The Word of God is the Word of God, and the Lord touches and moves my heart in all kinds of different ways. I'm going to ask for a show of hands this morning, and I mean this. Uh, Would you raise your hand if you have a dog, if you own a dog? Lots of hands. Uh, Keep them up there. Keep them up there. How many of you have ever had a dog? Raise your hands if you've ever had one. More hands going up. How many of you hate dogs? Anyone here just really hate dogs? I, you know, I... (laughs) I knew there would be some. I knew there would. That's just, that is what it is. I figured that there would be some. Uh, yeah, there will be, I'm sh- sure that there will be some here. That there are some here. The minority for sure that have no experience with dogs. Or if you have had experience with them, that you hate them. Uh, or uh, hate's a strong word. That you dislike dogs. And perhaps those of you who raced... <laughs> who raised your hands there at the end and said that you really don't like dogs at all. Maybe you might even say to yourself, I could never imagine that a sermon would be centered on dogs. (laughs) Well, I hate to disappoint you this morning. (laughs) Because in all honesty, I was kind of shocked when the Lord put this on my heart. I'll be honest. Because I recognize, you know, if you know me, and if you have known me for very long, you know, I do love dogs. More specifically, I love my dog. Uh, I love Mabel, man. She's something special to me. But I'll leave that aside, and I promise you, I didn't even include any pictures of her this morning because, you know, I I wanted to keep things focused on the Lord, even though it is a rather lighthearted, seemingly tongue-in-cheek type of approach to the Word this morning. I didn't include any pictures of any sweet, cute little dogs because I'd lose all of those ones who had your hands up. I'd probably lose you, and you'd be focused in the eyes of those retrievers and, and, and Labradors and little poodles, if you like that sort of thing and, that, and all that. But that being said, uh, I'm going to disappoint those ones who perhaps think that dogs have no place in Scripture, and I don't think that there's anyone 
that there's anyone here that thinks that. Because we are going to talk about dogs this morning. We might be well served, as a matter of fact, in, to a measure, modeling ourselves after this unclean, foul animal <laughs> that dogs are. You might be asking yourself this morning, why would we, uh, why would we pattern ourselves after dogs? Why would, what do we have in common with them? Why would we make this comparison? Why would he center a Sunday morning service uh, on these things? Well, first and foremost, again, I'm going to reiterate, the Lord put this on my heart, so I can't apologize for that. I'm kind of grateful that he did, because like I said, I like dogs. But there, it's scripture. We talk about sheep. We talk about eagles and how we, well, they that wait upon the Lord will mount up like on wings as eagles. Uh, we talk about the, the rock hyraxes or the conies. I love that word, cony. Uh, talk about our well, association with these different things. There is an association and an inference that we can draw from dogs in Scripture. They are. They're present. They are uh, in Scripture. And we can look at these things and take at least one piece of information away from it this morning. I hope that you'll at least draw that theme from it. If you're a dog lover, it's going to be easy for you to identify with the points that I make this morning. If you're a dog hater, then while in the natural I might feel sorry for you because there's a lot of joy to be taken from these furry things, but you might actually be able to understand and appreciate the point that is at the center of this lesson this morning better than anybody. If you look at those things and say, why would, you, why would you own one, much less let one lick you in the face? You will actually appreciate it, perhaps, the crux of the lesson better than these goofy dog people that surround you. That being said, we'll learn much about them this morning, I trust, what Scripture says about them, how we can identify with them to a measure, and more. So here we go. Uh, you, again, you might be asking yourself, what prompted this lesson? I always ask the Lord, Lord, what do you have for me to say to your people? What do you want me to bring? And sometimes he's very clear and, and just drops it right in my lap. And this is one of those times where it was this, this is that. So we just read here in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 4, For him who is joined to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. Now, I'm, not, I'm going to put that on the shelf for a moment. We'll be back to this scripture here in just a moment. But as far as dogs go, it, it, we, don't see it just, we don't see these dogs presented in scripture all over the place. It's not like it's just a continual theme that we see in regards to well, akin to sheep and that sort of thing. But, well, it's, it's, well, let me just say it this way. Dogs aren't really impressive in scripture it's not something they there's not a lot of complimentary light shed on the dog in scripture uh in biblical times i'd even go so far as to say well i don't see certainly don't see any evidence in scripture that they kept dogs that there's any clear-cut evidence that the people of israel kept them why might that be because they were unclean animals under the law i'm getting ahead of myself and because they were gross uh, you know they just it's just how they were they were kind of well, they were kind of the garbage disposals, you might say, and we'll get to Scripture there in just a moment. That doesn't mean that nations around them didn't hold a certain measure of, of well, even adulation and worship to some of them. You might recognize this representation of the god Anubis, which is an Egyptian god uh, based on the dog. They worshipped this one, and they held dogs in well, great esteem, but particularly this one who was 
as you can see, there's a little dead guy on the table here. Anubis is said to welcome in and usher in the dead into the uh, afterlife. Other places in ancient Greek history, ancient Roman history, you'll find Greek, uh, you'll find dogs incorporated into their mythology. What they held as being their religion back in that day, Norse um, religion, ancient Norse mythology that they, the gods that they worshipped, in, included dogs and a lot of number or a number of different places. Native American cultures honored dogs. All of that to say that Israel was kind of might have been a little bit of an uh, an outlier in the ancient Near East in the biblical times. You find that these dogs, when they worshipped them, oftentimes these gods that were dog related were affiliated with the dead in some manner. But certainly they were almost to the letter affiliated with mischief and kind of trouble. And as oftentimes some of these gods did these characterizations that they called gods because dogs are kind of that way they are dirty they are mischievous they are that sort of thing just in personality so they associated well their godhood godhood with those sorts of things now that being said as i said a moment ago i'm confident that well the faithful law-keeping jew didn't hold such great regard certainly they didn't worship the dogs at least not in in keeping with the law and the things of God, uh, they didn't hold it with much, much adoration, with much uh, affection on the dog. First off, it's identified as unclean. Let's go to our first scripture here in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 3. It was unclean and it behaved so. Among the animals, this is part of the law of Moses that was delivered to the Israelites back in the day, whatever divides the hoof, having cloven hooves and chewing the cud, that you may eat. Now if you think about it, Cloven hooves, so you're talking about, well, pigs, but did they eat that? No, they didn't chew the cud, so a pig was unclean. Cows had cloven hooves, and they chewed the cud, so you could eat cow. Dogs had neither cloven, well, they didn't have hooves, actually. Kind of have clovens, if you're not familiar with dog paws. Uh, You know, they're kind of split into toes, but they don't chew their cud. They're not anything, well, they were kind of doubly eliminated. I had horse one time, I told you about that, I think, had horse in Paraguay, unbeknownst to me at the time, didn't like it at the time, whether I knew what it was or not, had some horse salami. That was an unclean animal, not a cloven hoof, doesn't chew its cud. Eh, I have no interest in tasting dog. I have no interest in eating it because it eats garbage, it eats trash, it eats all kinds of stuff, and I imagine it wouldn't taste very good. But this was under the law. It was identified as ceremonial and spiritually unclean for them. And they would be unclean if they partook of this animal. It was not to be eaten. It also behaved in an unclean manner, we understand. Exodus 22 and verse 31. This is just... One small little piece of a law that was kind of a miscellaneous law that was put in amongst a number of other ones. You shall be holy men to me, he says. You shall not eat meat torn by beasts in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs because dogs will eat anything. Uh, You know, yeah, uh, you might see these little videos here and there. They take a little mic, stick it in front of you know, cute little golden retriever, and they proceeded to feed it all kinds of stuff. Proceed to feed it carrots and red peppers and all that kind of stuff, and people just sit there and watch this dog crunching and eating its food because it's cute and all that sort of thing, and it's fun to watch them eat blueberries and that sort of thing. Watch your dog. We had a dog when I was growing up. Her, her name was Misha. 
Uh, I believe she killed the coyote probably. She came walking down the field dragging this thing behind her and it was a coyote and evidently it was fresh and she probably did kill it. She was kind of a savage dog. She proceeded to sit down and eat the vast majority of it in one sitting right out, right out there in the field. Gross. Gross, man. Uh, you know what dogs do. Dogs will sit and will chew on the foulest of things. Um, they're, they're gross. Yeah, probably the most familiar dog scripture in scripture, 2 Peter 2.22. It happened to them according to the true proverb, Peter said, a dog returns to his own vomit. He's speaking of the unbelieving and those who imitate the unbelieving. They return to their own vomit even when they know better, even when they know that there's something greater. A dog always goes back to the nasty. It's just a nasty thing, a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. These dogs that we see in Scripture were likely, at least in the context of Israel and Israel's people, they were likely strays. When it says that you will feed this meat torn by the beasts in the field, you shall throw it to the dogs, they were probably strays. We go to Puerto Rico, we see stray dogs all over the place. Went to Paraguay, saw stray dogs all over the place. Americans don't typically like to see stray dogs, so they have more of, you know, animal control comes in and sweeps off those things that we don't like to see oftentimes, but see stray dogs all over the place and they'll eat whatever. They're pretty resilient. They'll eat garbage and they'll eat trash and they'll eat all of those things. And that's kind of what I have in my mind when I think of, well, the biblical times. These ones eating the trash. Not necessarily a pet kept in the house, loved on, wallowed on, massaged on, you know, bathed faithfully, all of these things in the way that we keep dogs today. Rightly so. They... they well, they returned to their own vomit. They were unclean animals and they behave uncleanly. Uh, now, we can see other places where they're presented where it doesn't just describe them as unclean animals. We can see the opinions of people for dogs in that day. Not all worship them like Anubis. We can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Some compared, well, shared an idea or shared a opinion that Israel had that they were unclean or that they were something rather vile, even their own enemies. 1 Samuel chapter 17, this is the words of Goliath, Goliath of Gath, that Philistine who David battled. Remember what he said when he was, well, when he felt insulted when David came out and spoke to him? When David was sent out as the champion of Israel to stand before Goliath and well, ultimately defeat him, but Goliath wasn't expecting it to be so. It says, when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. He thought less of him than just dislike. He was repulsed by David. For he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. What does that say of his own perspective of dogs now not that i put just a lot of a lot of weight behind goliath's opinions and that sort of thing but it just gives you an understanding here comes this one you know who who goliath felt that he was thought he was something remarkable Uh, thought that he was the man thought he was going to walk through whomever the grand champion was that came out and here came david and he's like you disgust me what am i something much smaller than i am and so he cast it upon a dog he made that illustration that correlation and he evidently thought that the appropriate treatment for a dog was to beat him down apparently with sticks you're coming to me with a dog as though that that's what i am that's all that i am to you 
It was a low comparison, even by Goliath's standards. A dog was something to be disdained and to be not worthy of anyone being compared to. While we're in 1 Samuel, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 24. Some people took, well, their own kind of the opposite direction. Goliath was pretty fond of himself. Other people, when they were looking to self-deprecate and, and present themselves as, my goodness, I am, whew, I am not worthy of this honor, they compared themselves to, to a dog. David, that one who, who battled Goliath when he became king and he was uh, in a position that he could honor his friend Jonathan's son Mephibosheth, he spoke to Mephibosheth. He identified, well, let's see what happened here. First Samuel chapter 24 and verse 13. Firstly, this is David speaking to Saul. I'll give you Mephibosheth in a second. David was speaking to Saul first, firstly, when he was on the lamb and when he was on the run and Saul was chasing after him. David said to him, why are you bothering me? What am I to you? As the proverb of the ancients says, as he's crying out to King Saul, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. I'm not going to defend myself. I'm not going to step up and stand against you. You are the Lord's anointed in that position for a reason for, for this time. After whom has the king of Israel come out? When Saul set all of his army after this man to, to bring him down, to slay him. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Who am I? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? He compared himself to something as low as he could consider. A dead dog. Not just a dog, not just an unclean animal, but a dead one. What am I to you? And so then, afterward, Mephibosheth, the grandson of Saul, after David had taken the throne, Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan. And he would come before King David, and he would express the same thing to him. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, and verse 7, David wanted to show kindness to him for Jonathan his father's sake. And Mephibosheth couldn't hardly understand this kindness. He couldn't hardly recognize and couldn't hardly reconcile and comprehend that the king, King David, would honor him so. So David said to him, Do not fear, in 2 Samuel 9 and verse 7. Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Man, this is an honor here. It's an honor that, that Mephibosheth was given. When he was actually of the lineage and the bloodline and, and the heir, you could say, of the king before, Mephibosheth took this honor. And rather than David putting him to death, he recognized what he was doing for him instead. And so he bowed himself, it says in verse 8. And he said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? A dead dog evidently was quite the height of self-deprecation. Looking at himself and saying, My, I... David is up here and he is treating me like this. And I am but a dead dog, unclean to an exceeding measure. And when you compare it to what is being rendered to me. Listen, I'm not going to tell stories this morning. Over the course of 20 years on a fire truck, in and out of people's houses of varying different places and, and situations and contexts, I've seen some dogs do some pretty horrifying things. Awful things. Dogs are gross. Dogs are foul, foul, foul. Uh, and they will do things rather unexpectedly. You can put a dog through your 
spa treatments and you can sit and you can wash it. And I hate to keep on bringing up little videos that come across, but well, I have children and, they, and a wife who loves dogs and dog videos and they'll show me different things. But you watch these people, they'll take their little dog and they make a whole, a whole thing of it, you know, massage it down, wash it, dry it, condition it. They take little sticks of aloe and oil and rub its paws and the dog's just laying there. And they rub its paws and they snip, 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 snip and make a whole ASMR thing about it, you know. Snip, snip, snip and rub, rub, rub. And they take some little balm and put it on its nose and rub it on. This dog's getting all kinds of treatment. What I would give, man. (laughs) What would I give to have someone rub balm on my nose for Pete's sake? And they rub it all over, you know, and they do this. And then they smooth it out and then they fluff it and they have special, you know, lint removing, you know, I don't know. It's, it's remarkable. It's, just, it's a whole spa treatment. And I guarantee you, man, guarantee you if there's a rotting possum out in that backyard, that corgi's running right to it and just going to roll right in it. Dogs are gross, and they will do the absolute foulest things that you could expect any creature to do. We'll roll in it. I love Mabel, and for goodness sake, man, I, she will find the grossest thing and just mash into it until it's leaving skids on her face. And it is it's horrifying, man. And yet, yet, we have something to identify with them. And we have something even to learn from these gross animals that they would look at and say, what am I, a dog? Well, as a matter of fact, we should be at times. Now, what do I mean when I say we should be? Well, for all the rubbing in the garbage that Mabel does, there are a couple of, well, decent things that she does. There are reasons why I have her in my house. There are reasons why I even say I love that dog. There are reasons for that. Now, not long ago, it's been, I think it was in 2006, I think I read it, the president of a outfit that honors animals, honors and, and believes that animals should be elevated to a treatment that is equal with people. Uh, they said this, and it was rather notorious, and it got well all the press that it should have in that day. It said, Six million Jews died in concentration camps, but six billion broiler chickens will die this year in slaughterhouses. Now, I kind of hesitate saying that because I want to make sure it's not questioned what my position is on that. I'm not a vegetarian. I eat meat. Uh, I don't fault those ones who do, and I'll be honest with you, there's a, there's a measure of just wreck my heart when I see the way that our food is treated before it's our food. But do not mistake me. Six million in the Holocaust is not even worth being in the same breath as six billion broiler chickens. I don't care how they're treated. You understand there is a difference. The Lord put, well, he put mankind in dominion over all the animals. Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. He has elevated us to something different than the animals. I was talking to the men in the men's group here last month about how there is a differentiation between us and the animals, and yet so oftentimes when we give ourselves into certain sin, it makes us much, much more like the animals. And how we need to remove ourselves from that because God elevated us, not just men, women too. We're made in His image not in the image of a broiler chicken. Not to be at all in a commensurate measure. 
According to our likeness were made, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. There's nothing left out of that. We have dominion over all of them. And, well, I would sacrifice any number. Well, I've said it before. I'd sacrifice any number of Mabels for one person that I don't even know because there's just not anything comparable. Mabel, and I hope I'm not surprising anybody when I say this, Mabel's not waiting for me in heaven when she dies. And I'm not going to miss her one bit. I'm not going... <laughs> I find a great deal of natural pleasure out of my dog. But how, how can I compare that? How can I compare that with who's going to be present? Saints. I love my parents. I love my wife. I love my kids. They are going to be there. But my eyes aren't going to be searching for them. Do you understand? (laughs) Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there's nothing I desire besides you. They know how I feel about them. It doesn't matter whether I know someone or not. The life and the potential of life in the Lord is vastly superior, vastly superior than any number of dogs that I have a great deal of affection for. So don't compare any number of people with broiler chickens. It's not even comparable. That being said, I didn't mean to get onto that tangent, but that was quite an insensitive statement at the very least, and I think that it's a foolish position to hold, and I'll just leave it at that. It's entirely unscriptural, as we just read there in Genesis chapter 1. There is no comparison. Yes, do what is right, do what is ethical, do what is moral. Scripture says elsewhere, and I'm not going to quote. You know what, Dad, quote it for me, can you? Where the, the man, go ahead. Taketh his, uh, I'm going to put Dad on the spot. Never. <laughs> my, apology, my apologies, Dad. There, the man who takes his, essentially it says that the man regards his beast. The man regards the animals. And the one who takes uh, anything just simply in sport is slothful. Uh, But the one who takes it to provide for his family, the one who takes a beast and regards that one, regards what it kills and what it slays, is showing that dominion that the Lord has and the honor that we're supposed to have in the Lord. Dad used to quote it to me all the time, but I put him on the spot. I can't hardly talk when I'm put on the spot up here, so I can't expect him to. That being said, uh, when I look at my dog, is there anything that I see in her that is actually good? That I can say is good. She doesn't compare to any human, no. But she does have a certain number of measurable qualities that I can look at and say, that's something valuable. She's loyal to me most of the time. She's submissive to me most of the time. She's obedient to me most of the time. When I tell her to sit, 99% of the time she sits. When I say come, 89% of the time she'll come to me. Depends on what's, you know, what's luring her elsewhere, but... If I'm in the house, I don't even have to call her. She comes to me. I open up the door. Man, there she is. She wants to be with me. I had a number of pictures, and again, I didn't put them up there because I don't want to be a distraction because it's not about Mabel. But when I'm in my office, she's down in my office with me. When I walk upstairs to go get water or to make coffee or something like that, she walks up with me and she sits up there, drinks some water or something while I'm making coffee. When I go back downstairs, she follows me there. She wants to be with me. And, of course, she lets me love on her whenever I am willing to. 
And I will be honest with you. Some of you would be appalled to see how I love on my dog. Because I do. Sometimes I get right, right down on my knees. That stupid fool. And I will bury my face in her face and smush it all up and listen to her groan in joy. You know, it's just one of those things. You know, I just, I enjoy that sort of thing. Now, that being said, can I mimic this dog? Can I imitate some of those things? Specifically, the first three that I just shared there. Can I be unquestionably loyal, unquestionably submissive, unquestionably obedient to God? Of course. Of course we can. If I'm being honest, I I should be very Mabel-ish and more so to the Lord. It's such a simple concept, such a almost a foolish comparison, but it is what it is. I should be so. The creator of all things, if you think about it. Well, he's not, he's not, well, he's not beholden to my need to know. When he tells me something, should I just simply be loyal to him and say, yes, it doesn't matter what you say. Absolutely. When he calls for me to do something, should I be submissive and say, yes, absolutely. Whatever you say, I will do that. When he makes plain to me that this is what I expect from you, I should unquestionably say, okay, Mabel never asks me why. She never says to me, "Mm, why do I have to come to you? She never says that. She just typically does it. Romans 9 verse 20. Indeed, O man, Paul says to the Romans, indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed or made or constructed Say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Saints, you were put under God's hand figuratively. When you were crafted in, well, in your mother's womb and you developed, well, that was his doing, his capability. His, well, putting certain processes in motion, but it was his work that took, that established all of that. Well, the thing formed, say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does the, not the potter have power over the clay? And I'll just say simply, yes, he does. He should have complete and utter. We should have, well, we should yield every single piece and portion of us. When I tell my dog to say, well, to sit, to lay down, to do this, that, she should not say why to me. And she doesn't. And that's something worth emulating. Something worth mimicking in her. There's a reason why she's on the leash when I take her outside. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Well, we can look in our own American history and we can see something very akin to that. People on leashes. We can see that sort of thing. It's inhuman. It's wrong. It's absolutely unjust when it's peers and equals doing such a thing. And some people say, look how unjust that is that the dog is on the leash. No, she would run out and she'd get smoked by a car. She'd run and she'd drink this or eat that, something that would hurt her. My intellect is greater than hers. My care for her is greater than her own care for herself. If left to her own devices, she would not do very well. Between God and me, the disparity between intellects, between his plan, his will, his wisdom, his concept, his thoughts, the disparity between his and mine vastly, vastly outweigh the disparity between mine and Mabel's. Vastly, She is so much closer to me in smarts and intellectual intelligence and all that than I am to God. It's not even close. 
Now, he doesn't put me on a leash, but you understand what I'm saying. He should be in control of me. He should have every aspect of my life lined up. He should be able to direct it when he says to do this. When he says, come, sit, roll over. Man, it doesn't matter how foolish I would look. I should be rolling over on this platform if that's what he called me to do. That doesn't sit well with a lot of people. Brother David used to tell the story about a woman. I'm not sure who she was, but she didn't like singing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. Is that him? No? I think it was another song. Uh, For such a worm as I. See? Dad's not alone in it. I can't come up with things on the spot. But did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? I nailed it. Nailed it. For such a worm as I. And she wouldn't sing that part evidently because she said, I'm not a worm. (laughs) Oh, man. You know what disdain Jesus even held himself in when when he was covered with our sin. Uh, He couldn't, well, it was just difficult for him even to enunciate it, I imagine. It's in Scripture. We can read about it in Psalm 22, Psalm 21, we can read these different places where he expresses who he was and how he was observed by those different ones. Will I, will I call myself a worm? Yeah. Yes, I will. That's not false modesty. I know who I am. In me, that is in my flesh. Yep, still there. There's nothing good dwelling in it. There dwells no good thing. That is what it is. So if I'm going to compare myself to a dog, well, that's an elevation. That's a promotion from a worm. Uh, And so I will. I will compare myself to him. The disparity between myself and the Lord vastly outweighs. Vastly larger than the disparity between me and my pooch. Uh, Psalm 92 and verse 5. The psalmist says, O Lord, how great are your works. Your thoughts are very deep. That doesn't even begin to describe it. A senseless man does not know. Nor does a fool understand this. The disparity between myself and the Lord's thoughts. Uh, my dog, your dog, does not understand your meditations, does not in- understand your existential thoughts and who you are, never sits and thinks to themselves, is all of this just a dream? They, they don't sit and think, what, well, what is the meaning of my life? And, and, you know, I really need to consider, you know, giving back. No, the dogs don't ever think that. They think, where's the nearest toilet? They think, where, where is, where, where's, what food can I eat right now? Or else they just lay there and snore on the floor. Dogs don't think a whole lot. There's not a lot of intelligence going on there. Uh, and we kind of have that in common sometimes. And we don't... Well, let me just say it again. We don't understand all of his thoughts. His thoughts are far and above our own. I can't, I can't even pretend to understand even the vastness of it, much less the specific details there. Psalm 94 expounds on this in verse 8. Understand, you senseless among the people, and you fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, put it on, establish that. Shall he not hear? He who formed the eye, shall he not see? He who instructs the nations, shall he not correct? He who teaches man knowledge? The Lord knows the thoughts of man. He knows who we are. That they are futile. That word futile in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes is full of that word. It's vanity. It means empty. It means worthless. It means there's nothing there. It's meaningless. Our thoughts compared to his, uh, it's not even close, the wisest of us. The wisest of dogs don't approach man's intelligence, the simplest of men. 
and the wisest of men don't approach, don't even come close to the Lord. Romans 11.33, one more. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. It's an exclamation there that Paul's making there. He's just saying, wow, the depth of it, the broadness of it, the riches of both the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. That means you can't get to the extremes, the corners. You can't find the end of them. And his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Millions, if not billions, have tried to be. Tried to counsel the Lord. And by saying counsel, when he says roll over, we say, no, probably the best thing to do here. That's counseling him. That's suggesting to him that his direction for us is somehow not the best idea. And we do it all the time. Guilty, as are you. I've done such things. Really? As soon as we say really. (laughs) That in and of itself. I want you to speak about the dog. Really? You know, I should have said, done. Okay. Loyalty, trust, obedience to the one of infinite, almighty power. Infinite, infinitely greater understanding than us. That's absolute in how justified it is to give him that. It should be 100%. It should be instant. It should be total and complete loyalty, trust, and obedience. As far as those other two, Wanting to be with him and just letting him love me? Should I mimic my own dog and the qualities that I enjoy out of her? Uh, I I mentioned a moment ago that she just, well, she just lets me wallow. Lets me wallow on her. And, well, if I give her the opportunity, man, she'll give me a tongue bath. I don't let her do that. Sometimes I'll let her lick my feet, but I can't just, man, sorry, Dad. He sat one time and just let his dog lick his whole head, his whole face, and that sort of thing for an extended, awkward, uncomfortable period of time. And I don't know if his face got chapped or what, but it irritated and all that kind of stuff because his dog just, he just kind of want to see how long old Duncan or whoever is going to do it. If that's what you want to do, that's fine. I wallow on my dog. Some of you would think that that was absolutely just weird and, and gross that I would ever consider sticking her face on my face. Again, she follows me wherever I go. Goes up and down the stairs, down into my office. She mashes her head into my neck in the morning. Did so with Allie. I knew what I was preaching on this morning, so I kind of paid a special, special attention to her this morning. She was all wallowing on Allie and just coming in, just wanted to be there and just smushing in and all of these things. Sometimes she just wants to be in our skin. We call it a Mabel minute at night when we're watching a movie or a show or something. She can be somewhere else, usually on the end of the couch or something, and all of a sudden, Allie says, it's a Mabel minute, and here comes Mabel. She's got this look in her eyes. She's carrying a stuffed animal. She crawls up onto the couch and wants to lay, just, just lays right into me and wants to be in my skin. It's just how it is. Should I mimic that? Should I mimic that with my, with my Heavenly Father? Well, you can tell that the answer is yes. You can tell these are rhetorical questions. Now again, call them foolish, call them goofy, call them simple comparisons if you want to. But I'm telling you, we're called to do this. Uh, Is it something that we can do? Why, yes, as a matter of fact, we can find out wherever he is. Where is he for me? Where is he calling me to? Even if I don't hear him calling before he says a word, 
I want to know where the Lord is. And I want to be there with him. I love Matthew 14. Man, we bag on Peter a lot. We bag on him a ton on Wednesday during our Wednesday Bible study. We just, well, we talked about Peter and Paul having to correct him and and chastise him before everybody. Corrected him right to his face because he was wrong. Let's look at something he did right, shall we? I'm not going to finish the story because, well, his faith failed just a bit in the moment. But we'll stop just prior to that. Matthew chapter 14, looking in verse 25. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, them being the disciples who are out on a boat on the sea. And Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. It's me out here. This is where I am. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And look what that man did. I mean, that, that's, that's a dog command. <laughs> he said, call me. Like a dog. Call me. If it really is you, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. None of the other ones left the boat. Peter wanted to be with Jesus wherever he was, out on the water. Now, listen. If I have the opportunity to walk on water and the Lord, <laughs> the Lord shows up and he says, there he is on the pool. And he says, walk out here. I, I would find that very, very cool. I mean, that, that would be a neat story to tell and that sort of thing. I don't think Peter was just looking for a story to tell. I mean, I honestly don't. I don't think that there was anything just simply shallow here. I think that Jesus was out there. And he wanted to be with him. And he wanted to have that faith. And there was something going on there more than just... I just want to walk on water. There was something more going on there. And so he said, call me, Lord. And he allowed himself to be tested. And he called him. And he did. He went out there. He wanted to be with him. For time's sake, I'm not going to go there. But in John 13, 23, well, John leaned into the bosom of Jesus at that Last Supper. Now, I've made this statement before. You know, I... I love Danny Baldwin. I'm not going to lean into his bosom. <laughs> not going to spend a whole lot of time there. I'll give him a hug from time to time, sure. But I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time just leaning, leaning into him. We don't have that kind of relationship. We don't. Even my own kids. You know, Judah is as big as I am, taller than I am and all that. He doesn't lean into my bosom very often, man. I'll, I'll hug on him and that sort of thing. Saints, there was nothing awkward about this. I don't believe it for a minute. There's nothing... Nothing wrong. I've heard it painted into this picture of being something along those lines, and I'm disgusted when I hear such things. There was nothing wrong there. And furthermore, the other disciples didn't think so either. Peter didn't say, well, what are you doing? You know, get, he says, hey, ask him a question for me, right? He asked him while he was in that special place. There is something. When I was a, ki- when I was a kid, Dad was talking with somebody, and I was, I don't know, I was only about 10 years old, and he was talking about yielding and submitting to the Lord. This woman was having a difficult time wrapping their minds around it. And they said, well, Greg, I'm just going to tell you, this whole sitting at the feet of Jesus, that whole concept is just women dreamy talk. A man at 10 years old, I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about? I was, 
I was appalled at the moment because, well, because that's what we'd always heard, sitting at the feet of Jesus, sitting at the feet of Jesus. And if Brother David said it, and if Brother Richards was saying this sort of thing, and Uncle Bob Stokes was saying this sort of thing, and, and all of these different ones, my grandpa talked about sitting at the feet of Jesus. Were all these people wrong? Is this just women dreamy talk? Because I don't want to be woman dreamy anything. And as I got older, I'm going to tell you something, <laughs> There I love to weep and pray. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, we sing that song. I love it. Love it. I value that. It's not women dreamy talk. A number of people would say, ah, you big crybaby, and would tell me that I'm not a man just in standing and and demonstrating that emotion. I don't care. Man, I I don't care. I look at the Lord and I say, how should I be? And change me where I don't. Or where I don't exhibit the emotions and the things the way that I should, and He has yet to change certain things of me. So I let them be. It's not women dreamy talk to want to be with Him where He is. It's not women dreamy talk. And women, I'm not trying to at all disparage you by any means. It's not just simple pandering or, or, or goofy, tender, sanctimonious to consider leaning into His breast even when He was here present in the flesh. John did it. And I believe John was, I believe he was a man. I believe that he was a godly man. Obviously, we see the testimony in Scripture. I think that that's why that he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. Because he allowed himself to be loved. He allowed himself to be loved. He wallowed when he could wallow. You know, I told the kids... When they wanted this dog so bad, I said, I don't want the dog. How come, Dad? It's interesting to say it now. I don't want the dog because you know what's going to happen, guys. You're going to go to school. You're going to go to work. Everyone's going to go to work, and it's just going to be me and her. Well, what's wrong with that? Well, I'm going to feed her. I'm going to walk her. I'm going to fall in love with her. And she's going to reciprocate that to me. And she's not going to favor <laughs> she's not going to favor you. Because she will let herself be loved, and I'm going to be willing to do it. And sure enough, they'll tell you, I'm her person. I am. There's no question. She lets me wallow on her, and I let her wallow on me. Shouldn't I just want to be with the Lord? Wherever he is. Yes. Shouldn't I want to just let him love me. Yes. Yes, I absolutely should. No question. No, no hesitation in answering that. Should I imitate my dog and how she is with me? Should I imitate that with my Heavenly Father? Absolutely. Absolutely I should. Saints, when I got to my station, I'm wrapping up, I promise. When I got to my station here, uh, it's been... More than two decades ago now. Got assigned to the station here. I walked in and my captain handed me a a sheet. And it said, expected new guy attitudes. Okay. All right. So I looked at them and, you know, they they all said the same kind of stuff, you know. But this one stuck with me and it said, approach every instruction from a senior member with puppy-like enthusiasm. (laughs) 
you know, I understood what they were saying at the time, and I was as gung-ho as, as you could be at 21 years old. There's no question. But I'll be honest, that didn't impress me at all. It didn't impress me because I knew a couple of things. That puppy-like enthusiasm, number one, can be faked. And as soon as, as, as you get to a position where you don't need to have anymore, you ditch it when you don't need it. So you can fake puppy-like enthusiasm, and lots of people did. Most often people would fake that enthusiasm if it was there at all. But oftentimes that enthusiasm that you had, that puppy-like enthusiasm was rewarded by those senior members with the stupidest, dumbest commands just to test it or just to abuse you. They wanted to take advantage of that puppy-like enthusiasm and see just how enthusiastically you would climb into a trash can or, or do any number of other stupid things. Uh, you know what? It's safe to approach the Lord with puppy-like enthusiasm. It's safe to do so. Not just safe. I would encourage you to do so. We should be loyal. We should be submissive. We should be obedient. Unquestionably so in all of those things. We should simply want to be with Him no matter what, no matter where He is. And we should simply let Him love us in whatever manner He chooses to do so. That should be our entire purpose. As we go back to our opening passage that we didn't even spend much time in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, it says, But for him who is joined to all the living, there is hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. If you look at Ecclesiastes, you know that, well, Solomon writes much of this from the perspective of there th being all things equal, almost in the absence of God's hand on things. What we have when we're left to our own devices, when we're left to the world as it, as, as it is and, and as it sits, without hypothetically, hypothetically, without God's involvement. For him who is joined to all the living, there is hope. Because a dead, a living dog, the lowest of creatures is better off than a lion, that most noble of creatures, that most noble of beings. When it's dead, it's dead. It's worm food. It's nothing. And so if it's dead, well, it has nothing left. Again, outside of all things spiritual. The living dog, if this life is all that we have, man, we're grateful to have it. And live it up. Live it up. Eat, drink, be merry, and so on and so forth as it presents there in Ecclesiastes. Again, rather hypothetically in a lot of different places. This would be true also for us. Well, this is true for us in spiritual things as well. If we're left to our own, and if this life were all that we had, certainly a living dog is better than a dead lion, but we aren't left to our own devices. We aren't left to ourselves. This life is not all that there is. We understand. Psalm 84.10 says, A day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a doorkeeper or a living dog in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness as anything or anybody else. We are joined to the living God is what we are. So we are not mere dogs. We're not living dogs in the house of God. We're not just living dogs. As much as I value my, my dog and as much as he, well, as much as he values me, I'm not just a dog to him. I'm not just a living lion. That would be something much more noble. I'm not just something that, that looks cool and is well, look what I have here. I'm not a trophy to the Lord. 
I'm much more than a doorkeeper. I'm not just a servant in his house. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. Not that we're dogs, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. That's neither here nor there as far as it is with me. That we should be called the sons of God. Saints, I don't believe that you are dogs this morning. No matter what arguments I've made, no matter how much we should emulate these ones, I don't believe you are dogs this morning. You are much, much more, the Lord says. He doesn't look at you as a dog. We don't measure up to the status that the Lord places on us. We don't. We, we, we can't. Uh, let me just say it this way in closing. Those ones who couldn't care less about dogs this morning, that's your prerogative. If you don't like dogs, that's entirely your prerogative. And, and you have logical reasons and rational reasons and sensible reasons why not. It's also my prerogative to throw out all logic, <laughs> throw out all sense, Throw out all dignity and decency at times in order to love something that absolutely, in and of itself, does not measure up to who I am. It's God's prerogative. It's His prerogative to absolutely, to view us from a perspective that is absolutely not commensurate with who we are in actuality. To look past our unclean, Exterior and the unclean behaviors that we partake in and see the presence of Jesus, to see our desire to fellowship with Jesus. It's His prerogative to bless us, benefit and riches that are far above the station that we would hold well, as these cruddy, fleshy creatures. Hosea 11.4, the Lord says, I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love, and I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck. I stooped, stooped, bent down, and fed them. He has made you more than a living dog. He's made you more than a living lion. He has made you a son of God and an heir with the Lion of Judah. How can I not entirely devote myself, senselessly even, <laughs> without any kind of, well, without any, Hindrances. How can I not entirely devote myself, even with puppy-like enthusiasm, to the Heavenly Father that treats me so much more than a living dog?